St. Paul uses an important phrase in the second reading, and that phrase is training in righteousness. The whole paragraph went like this. All scripture is inspired by, inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for refutation, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Or another translation, for training in virtue. So that one who belongs to God may be competent, equipped for every good work. When you think about the concept of training, what comes to mind? Now, some of you probably play sports now or did in the past. So you know all about training for a sport. You have to run, you have to lift weights, you have to drill, you have to practice, practice, practice. Training is what makes you become better at playing a sport. Or same thing for playing a musical instrument. You don't learn to play a musical instrument overnight. Hours upon hours of training, scales and chords and rehearsals. If you were in the military, you know all about morning PTs and training and drills and getting yelled at. All these things are part of being in the military, part of training. And thank you for your service for all who, who were. There's also some training associated with our social lives, isn't there? We train in order to know how to relate to others. We don't know that intuitively. We get better at it. At, over time with practice. Anyone who's been married or who is married now knows how difficult it is to be in a long-term relationship with somebody. It takes a lot of training. And they'll tell you that, and they'll tell us, or you will tell us, that it's not something that ends. The training doesn't end at the wedding day. If anything, it really just begins at the wedding day. Training goes on. How to improve marriage, how to improve family life. And this weekend, many of you, or most of you, some of you, went to homecoming last night, and there was a football game the night before, Friday night. And I understand that the team, you guys won by 50 points or so, so it was a blowout. So whoever was on the team knows all about training. But for homecoming, homecoming itself, I think, is a part of training in this sort of social way. Homecoming and prom, all the little rituals that are involved in these dances, First, you have to muster up the courage to ask somebody to go with you. That's really difficult at first, but then it gets easier over time. And then you have to go and you have to rent a tux or a, or a suit, or you have to go and buy a nice dress. And the girls, you have to make the discernment of who you're going to say yes to. And that takes courage and prudence and wisdom, and that gets better. You get better at that over time with training. Then, of course, the dance itself, dancing in groups and dancing as couples. Before the dance, going out to dinner, going over to the, your date's house to pick her up, and all of these things, these rituals, these little rituals that societies, communities, humanity, we've been engaging in these things for centuries, for millennia. Homecoming itself and prom itself, maybe, I don't, I don't know how old those are, but the little mini rituals that are involved in those things are very, very old. And I propose that they're all ordered towards one thing. They're all ordered towards preparing you for one day to be able to drop on one knee and ask somebody to marry you. It's all leading up to that, to then start a family. So this training now isn't arbitrary. It's not just for fun. It's ordered towards something. something. It's leading you towards something. 
Now, with all of these different types of training, there is one area, one type of training, that's the most important of all. And it's the most important of all for two reasons. First, because it has eternal consequences. In other words, whether we get good in this area may actually determine whether we spend eternity in heaven, in God's loving embrace, or whether we spend eternity in hell, in eternal punishment, as the scriptures tell us. And the second reason why this area is important is because it impacts every other area of life. So if we get better in this area, we're going to get better in every other area. That area is training for righteousness, training in virtue. You've probably heard of the virtues, you know what they are, you've heard a list of them. There are the theological virtues, those are the most important, faith, hope, and love. And not love as a feeling, but love as willing the good of another, as a habit practiced over and over again, trained over and over again. And then there are the cardinal virtues. There's prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. And then there are all the little daughter virtues, so-called. Diligence, and discipline, and modesty, and chastity, and patience, and kindness, humility, obedience. All of these virtues help us in all the other areas. Help us in our relationships, in our careers, in training for sports, everything. It's what allows us to do good works, to be competent in good works, as we read in the readings. Or more to it, it's what allows us to be good. It's equivalent to being good. The more virtuous we are, the more good we are. It's absolutely crucial for the Christian life. So how do we grow in virtue? If it's so important, how do we do it? Well, of course, we practice. We practice, we practice, as anything that we train. We have to do it over and over again. And I'm going to use an example from a famous athlete, Muhammad Ali. You've probably heard of Muhammad Ali. You remember him. He died a few years ago. He was a boxer, arguably the greatest boxer of all times. The athlete of the century, Sports Illustrated, called him in 1999. So a big deal in sports, but he also is remembered for lots of really great interviews and lots of really witty sayings. So one time he, asked, he was asked how many push-ups he does each time. And he said he doesn't count all of his push-ups. He said, I only start counting when it starts to hurt. Then I start counting. Those are the push-ups that make you a champion. That helps us with learning and growing in virtue, too. It's easy to do the right thing and to do the good thing when there is no difficulty or no obstacles. But it's when it's difficult, it's when it's painful to do the right thing, and we choose to do it anyways, that's when we grow in virtue. He also said, the fight is won or lost far away from the witnesses, behind the lines, in the gym and out there on the road, long before I dance under those lights in the ring as a boxer. The guys that played football on Friday, though being performing Friday night is what everybody sees, but what allows them to perform well is what they do when nobody is watching. And that's the same thing for us in virtue. It's not just what we do when other people are watching. That's easier. We have this social motivation that helps us to do something good. And that's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But when we really develop virtue is when nobody is watching. What do we do when we're hidden from the world's eyes? 
That's where we develop virtue. Now, one thing really caught my attention. An interviewer asked him, what is the central part of your training? Is it the running? Is it the sparring? What is the central part of your training? And he stopped and thought about it for a moment, and he said, the central part of my training is dodging the nightclubs and the parties. That's the central part of my training. In other words, it's not something that he did, but something that he gave up. Giving up that, sin, that, that sinful life. Giving up the, light, the life in darkness. Giving that up is what freed him to then train to become a good boxer. And not just a good boxer, but the greatest boxer ever. That's the same thing for growing in virtue. It's not just doing good things, but actually also, and perhaps most importantly, choosing to give up something. And here's where it gets really difficult. Here's the reason why most of the world, most Christians, even most practicing Catholics, don't become saints. And I don't mean canonized saints. I mean saints. Why we don't become the person whom God created us to be. Here's why. Because what we have to give up is ourselves. We have to give up our own lives and give it to the Lord. And say, God, you take it. You live your life. You can do more with your life than I can. And that's really difficult because we want to cling to our lives. We want to cling to control. We want to be in control of our lives. But so long as we do that, that's like Muhammad Ali going, going out at night and then also trying to train the next day. That doesn't work. We have to give up. We have to dodge that. We have to let go and give it to God and let God live through us. And we actually saw an image of this in the first reading, in the fight between the Israelites and the Amalekites. Moses would pray. He would have his hands up and he would be praying. And that's when the Israelites would be winning. But then he would get tired and he would put his hands down. down, And the Amalekites would start winning. Do you remember what happened, what they did, Aaron and her, what they did that allowed Moses to keep his hands up? Yes, they lifted up his hands, but they did something before that. They put a rock behind him. And he sat down on that rock. That rock is Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the one on whom we sit down, we rest, we surrender. And when we do that, Aaron and her and all the angels and saints and all three persons of the Trinity come behind us and lift up our arms. And they lift up our arms into the shape of a cross. And we begin to live our lives not for ourselves, but for him. And our lives take, to take the same shape as his. That is the path to sanctification. That is the path to training in righteousness and tra training in virtue. Because it's not us who develop our virtues, but rather God who develops our virtues in us. It's his work in us. Our task is to surrender to him and to allow him to do it in us. The challenge, the additional challenge, is that we can't just do it once. We have to be like the persistent widow in the gospel and do it again and again and again 
after day after day. As we do this, even starting right now, as we come to this rock here, this altar, this Jesus here, we come to him, we surrender our lives to him, we begin this life of living not for ourselves, but for him. And we make the commitment for the first time and we renew it. We say to him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life.